This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Booksplode, True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee. Hello, 
welcome to my fanboy Books Explode on True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abraham Reisman. My name is Connor Kilpatrick, and this is Josh Flanagan. Hello, Connor. This is Josh. And this is the Books Explode unlocked by the patrons at patreon.com slash ifanboy. They unlocked the Books Explode and Josh's Talk Explode interview show and our Media Explode show, all kinds of fun stuff. And that's why we're talking to you this month. And normally we talk about a graphic novel or a collected edition or an original graphic novel or something. That's not a single issue comic book. And this time, Josh thought, hey, why don't we talk about that Stan Lee book that everyone's talking about? So this is our first ever prose edition of Booksplode. Don't know it'll happen again. Don't know it won't happen again. But this is the first one. Also, we do read prose books. This isn't the oh, first yeah. prose book we've ever read. Yeah, no, I've never read a prose book before. <laughs> Where were the pictures, Josh? I'm giving this one a low grade on art. There was There were two sections of, of pictures in them. <laughs> the graphic design was not incredible. So it's just words? Yeah. So spoilers, I guess. Is there? Yeah, I mean, I guess. You know what's funny? It, when I'm reading a book like this, and I don't really know all the details, I try not to look at like the Wikipedia page because I don't really want to know what's coming up. Because books mm-hmm. that are good are still written in such a way that you're like, what's going to happen next? Sure. Even though I know. Sure. It's just called Tension. That Lincoln book, Manhunt. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It's a page turner. Anyway, let's, not talk, let's talk about Manhunt. Yeah, let's do that. Change of plans. So I do want to say that, Josh, you finished this relatively recently. Yes. So I'm going to lean on you for a lot of details because I read this in May. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I'm the mid-40s guy with kids, and yeah, it's fine. I read this first, then you read it, and you were like, maybe we should talk about it. And I was like, okay, that was a long time ago, though. (laughs) But, you know, we do know a lot about Stan Lee. We did interview him on several occasions. We did have a long conversation about him when he passed on our regular Pick of the Week show. I suspect this might be very similar yeah. So it's going to be tough because this is a book about a man. So there's going to be a conversation about the book itself, but also the subject of the book. There's just no way to not intertwine the two of them, I think. Yeah. So yeah. this book's first of all, published by Crown, published this year, 2021. It's a hefty book, 340-ish pages. And it started off as an article. Was it, Vul- was it Vulture? Something like that. I don't remember. That uh, Reisman wrote about Stan Lee, and it took off to book form. So a little bit of backstory We've been covering comics through a fanboy since 2000. We've been to a lot of shows. We've socialized with a lot of creators. Like I said, we've interviewed Stan it was like four or five times. Mm-hmm. You hear stories. You hear jokes. And, you know, there's the man, the myth, the legend. There's the man. And I think that's what this book is all about. When I first moved to Los Angeles, a mutual friend of ours invited me to the premiere of the Stan documentary that's mentioned at the end of this book. And went to the event... And I was talking to is somebody. He still alive? Yeah, yeah. This was 2011. Yeah. Or t- beginning of 2012. It was. It was the very. It was right as I moved here to LA. He was still around. He was. I don't even know if he was there. He might have made a brief appearance and left. But, you know, it was mostly like D-list or below celebrities, and a couple of local LA comics people, like the Boom people, were there. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to somebody at the bar, about Stan and the documentary. And he was someone who was relatively close to the family. And he said, the thing about Stan is, at this point, he doesn't really remember a lot. So the stories that he's told over and over and over again, to him, that's what happened. Sure. That's how he's been reinforcing his memory. He doesn't really remember. But Larry, <laughs> Larry remembers everything. Larry is Stan's brother, Larry Lieber. Stan's real name, Stanley Martin Lieber. So in this book, in the relatively early on, Larry's introduced. And it's like, I'm sitting down with Larry Lieber, and I went, oh, shit. Because mm-hmm. he's the guy with, he knows what happened. And also... I've been waiting for a book like this ever since he died because I knew this wasn't going to come out while he was alive. 
stands the patron saint of comics. So I figured at some point, eventually, somebody would do a book like this. I didn't expect it to be so quickly. The point is, once I saw that Larry was a source, then I knew that Reisman had done his homework. I mean, I think that that is absolutely clear from the whole thing is that, you know, this is a full-on chunk of reporting. Talk mm-hmm. to everybody who it was possible to talk about, you know, talked to J.C. Lee, his daughter, talked to Peter Paul. All the pal guys, all the yeah, Stan Lee media guys. You know, and none of those people are necessarily reliable narrators. No, they've all got their agendas. That's part of the trick of this whole thing. You said one thing to me early on, which mm-hmm. was on my mind the entire time I was reading yeah. it, and it was that the writer has, I don't know if you use the word agenda, but he has a point of view. Like he'd made up his mind. Yeah, the big downside of the book is he doesn't help himself with the tone. See, I don't agree that it's a downside. Only out of the thing is if you've done the reporting and you have the ability when you're writing it to make a conclusion and that's what your conclusion is, it's not necessarily the same as this. <laughs> this goes back to my old doc research days. Connor and I had to take this class where we learned how to make a documentary. And one of the things that I got out of it was that documentary is not the same as journalism mm-hmm. now you know, this or whatever, is that like, if there are conclusions to make, it's not unrealistic to make them as long as you're being fair about it. Oh, no, I don't think that that's not what I'm saying at all. It just seemed like right. the, the tone of it was somewhat snarky at times and, and somewhat I, stab, 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 gleefully stabbing the corpse. Now, I don't disagree with any of the conclusions he made here. I just felt mm-hmm. like if he had been more straightforward with the reporting as opposed to... So it's almost the tone? That yeah, the tone. The tone was the... I think the tone at I, times I, see, was the problem. And it, it, it allows it, critics who don't want to hear the stuff about Stan right. to hang themselves on the tone and point at so that. So I didn't mind the tone in that sense. I did think that there was a lot of like, stop using a 50 cent word when you need, when it's 35 cents. Yeah, well, it was, there was yeah. a lot of that, or I don't know if that's, it wasn't what I would classify as snarky millennial internet writing. It wasn't that it was a little, look how smart I am with words, which uh, I can appreciate, but I find that it's, if it's noticeable, then it doesn't work. He had some asides and things like that. So let's get that out of the way. Yeah, I mean, I that, that's, that my, that's my main criticism was, like, you're not doing yourself a favor. All you're doing is giving people a chance to undermine your yeah. work here, which I think is a very important piece of reporting. Now, a lot of this is, if, you're at all in, if you all know about the story of Stan Lee and then the story of Marvel, this is, a lot of this is familiar ground. There's a lot of... Well... I mean, there's definitely new things in here, but there's a lot of, like, okay, to me... And we're, I'm just gonna. I'm going high level here. Yeah. To me, the most interesting part was the the post Marvel. Once Stan leaves New York for Los Angeles, a lot of that was new for me because I read a yes, lot of absolutely. Them. And it's so things that I've, you know was where it got really we've been around for. We've seen them yeah. happen, and they were very curious. I think that the book is in three parts. There's like pre Marvel, a kind yeah. of one part where he comes from, who he was, what he was yeah. like, Marvel, and the Marvel stuff. There wasn't a heck of a lot there that I hadn't heard. It was right. pretty familiar, although there were a lot of details and more, you know, it, it shored up things that I had already thought, mm-hmm. I think. And then everything after Marvel, but really like the sort of 2000 forward was the, you know, we'd seen all this stuff going on. But now that you put it together after the fact and put those facts Incredibly in the history, ending. it's really sad, yeah. but th- that's sort of the latter part. But the first yeah. part is like why are we seeing him all the time and nothing happens? Right. It's all part of a whole. It all sort of works together. But yeah, well, that was the most What was interesting, interesting was, uh, so a friend of ours read this book and then he gave it to another friend. So like two generations removed from us, two generations removed from the comics world. And uh, his friend's reaction was, God, that was incredibly sad. 
you know, for a man who his public persona was positive, upbeat, joyful, and behind the scenes, it was just a wreck. Well, that is his public persona, but also, you know, and it's a put on to a certain extent, but being in the room with him is like, I've never had an experience like that Mm -hmm. in that he was like, they they talk a lot about his charisma and his charm. And I mean, in 90, he had that in spades. You you feel like the most special person in the world talking to him, really. And I've never met anybody like that. So yeah, the other part of it sort of makes it more sad. But to me, the sad part really is sort of what happens to him in the last 20 years. And the part before that, that's kind of all him. And like, is that what was sad? So that was what was somewhat revelatory was the pre-Stan years, you know, what Reisman does a really good job of is laying out pretty methodically that Stan has basically lied about everything in his entire life down to, you know, winning or not winning a newspaper prize in, in, when he was in grade school. Like, there's almost nothing that he has said publicly about himself that wasn't a lie or an embellishment. Or it just had gone so far for so long that you, could, you couldn't even know the difference. Right. That's, like, that was the point that my that friend was making. Yeah. It was like, at this point, he doesn't even remember what, what really happened. He's been telling a lie for so long. It's tough. It's really tough because Stan is the patron saint of comics, as I said earlier. And when he died, we had – and also during the Jack Kirby book explode, we talked about uh, the Jack Kirby comic biography. Like, the more and more you read, the more and more it becomes more clear-cut. But, in, but it's still a mess because, as mm-hmm. we talked about before – Stan may have really embellished his contributions creatively to these Marvel characters, but also there's something in there of him. And also, these things don't happen if he's not the promotion machine. Yeah. It's all a big mess. But this book does a really good job of laying out how much the artists were doing versus how much he was doing, what was really going on creatively in the 60s in Marvel. Another thing that's, that's really sad about the whole thing is how, how this had to happen. This has to happen to Jack Kirby in order to not let it happen to people like subsequently. And it took a long time for us to sort of happening though, but at least people are more aware of it now. Like at the time of, you know, when Marvel comics or timely comics, there was no concept of creators rights of protecting anything. It was very working class guys being bossed around by very working class guys. And everybody was trying to get everything they could out of it. And so the people who had the power had the power of people who didn't, didn't. Mm -hmm. And at least we have that object lesson. Now, at least we have an idea about, how the ownership of art is important. It happens that there's so much art out there that no one will ever need ownership. of. <laughs> We've probably wasted a lot of time on it. But, you know, there's these outlier cases where I have always had the, not always, but the more I educate myself, the more I get the sense like Jack Kirby is even sharing 50-50 credit is, is a gross iniquity. And the fact that like so many other people knew it and and also went through that, you know, Ditko, it, it, it <laughs> Ditko just away from everything. Yeah, he's- you know, yeah. I look at it as like it kind of wrecked that guy or who he could have or would have been. And Stan, Stan is this figure. It's tough. Who it's impossible to define good, bad, you know, helpful, destructive. Without Stan like the character, this stuff doesn't blow up like it does. You know, without Stan going in talk shows and magazines and coming out to L.A. and not getting anything done ever, but still being the persona and selling the image, you know, we are not right here. And so it's a, it's a tough thing because, again, like, once Stan and Jack break up, Jack does go off and do, does really great things. He creates the new gods, but he also does a lot of garbage. 
And Stan's basically everything post leaving Marvel is uniformly terrible. Mm-hmm. Or just non-existent. Like right, but like, the stuff he did do was terrible. So, yeah. And hacky and schlocky and the stuff you know we talked to him uh, about like those picture books that he loved so much. But the thing is, like, there was a little bit of that magic of Jack may have done eighty percent of the work, but Stan sprinkled something on it that made it special because nobody did anything special after that other than the New Gods. It's yes. tough. It's tough. Well, yeah, I, I think that's true, but the sum total, I think, I think Stan's contribution is. A little bit to do with the language and verbosity of Marvel. It's the image. There's that. It's the public face yes. of comics. And and the the way that, you know, things are. But other than that, like, you know, having him say he's the creator of almost any character oh, yeah. seems wrong now. Or co creator for that matter. You know, like he was in the room and he said, Why not give him a mustache? Like and that's kind of you know, he did edit the books, he did everything, but you know, the credit is just all wrong and then now it's gonna be forever and it's really hard to watch that taste out. And then the other side of that being though that like every other "Quote unquote creative endeavor that the man has done is terrible. It's yes. terrible. Like yeah. it kept going back to the well, the same over and over again. Not funny. Surprisingly dirty. Like, yeah. what if we have a lady with big boobs? Like yeah. it's on and on and on. Well, the thing like is, weird. these guys are all vaudeville guys. Yeah, and that's sort of the self promotion. I can buy it through that. Like the relentlessly self promoting was yeah. just what you did. You know, all this backstory was a lie. It was whatever sold the image, whatever sold the product. But, but getting back to the book itself, having it laid out really compounded the sadness because it was like, okay, he didn't really work in comics. He didn't really like it. He was trying to constantly get out of it, trying to be a screenwriter, trying to be a novelist, trying to write in magazines, anything but write comics. And then comics find success. He changes his whole persona, puts the hairpiece on, grows the beard. There's never been a more evocative personal change from the guy that he looked like in the 50s yeah. to the guy who looked 20 years younger than him five years later. Yeah. It's the weirdest thing. And then goes out to Hollywood and is desperate to just find any kind of success. And I don't know if it's the immigrant mentality. You know, like I kept wanting to say like, man, you you have money. You live on the bird streets in LA. Those are really exclusive. You're fine. <laughs> But just well, the constant hunger. Well, then we'll get we'll get into the family in a second. Right. But the constant <laughs> hunger to do more, and then the really sad stuff. Like he tried to bring Power Rangers over, and they were like, yeah. "That's a terrible idea." And then the guy Saban who did his name's on the front of the Academy Award Museum. Like he's one of the richest yeah. guys in town. That's what Stanley wanted to be. And the one time he actually had a good idea, the people who he was working <laughs> with—I don't even remember who it was at the time—were like, "Nah." Yeah. But that to me was one of the saddest moments of the whole book. That's true. That was it was almost like you gave him a win, but he didn't get it. Like he got a he got a He had the one win. moment of inspiration and didn't happen. And that would have given him the success and respect that he wanted to have. Unless he had fucked it up, but who knows? And then, you know, it gets gets further along and then he gets in the shady deals and Pow Entertainment and Stanley Media and I don't know which one was first. Stanley was first, right? Stanley Media was first. Yeah. And, then, and then Pow Entertainment. What basically happens there. is the older he gets, the more vultures you know, and this is beside the point of all the, the 60s and then the, the credit. And But it's like he becomes a commodity of himself, in and of himself, through the Marvel movies. You know, everyone knows who he is. And just the vultures descend on him. And it's just like, you just feel terrible. You know, for all the stuff he's done wrong, you just feel terrible for him reading this book. You know, all these guys are just picking him clean, making him go to shows into well, his they're, 90s. They're, yeah, and there is Getting that. him involved and in criminal behavior. 
But at the same time, there is debate. And this is a thing that I don't think the author was able to ascertain fully. We'll never know, probably. Is how much he knew what was going on and how much he was aware of it. Right. And again, this is the unreliable narrator thing. And I'm shocked that these people talked to the author. From Peter Paul to... They've all got massive egos. I guess, yeah. Look, I, all I have is the book and being around. And my feeling is he didn't ask too many questions. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's a difference between knowing nothing, being fully involved, and he's in the middle yes. where like, I'm just not going to ask how this money shows up. You know, I'm not going to ask any questions. I'm These guys are getting me money and I get to make announcements and people ask me questions. And I got the feeling there was as long as there was some deal happening and he was getting paid, he didn't really want to know the details. That was the impression I got from the book. And I think that goes right back to that sort of, you know, Manhattan coming out of the Depression. Right. You know, a hustle. You got to get along with what you're doing due to, you know, <laughs> it's like it's like garment district stuff. Right. I mean, then the question of it's so hard. There's no way to know. Yeah. But, you know, at what point does he not have agency? Meaning, you know, like at what point was he too old or incoherent to take responsibility for anything? It seems like through Stan Lee Media, the appearance of the doddering, forgetful uncle yeah. is false. And so still responsible. Yeah. I mean, it gets murky towards the end with that one dude with the hat. Yeah. Towards the end. It was kind of big news around in L.A. Like when Kevin Smith, you know, wrote that article and came out and said, like, Stan's being held captive. And, you know, they had to release those videos. And, you know, they was Hollywood Reporter got involved. And, and like his, his who knows? Yeah, I mean, like, there's you know? like, I want to say there's about four different people around him by the end. They were all trying to destroy each other to get to his money. and Right. It was his daughter. And then. That one weird guy who was, you know, he was around Michael Jackson for a yeah, while. I can't yeah. remember his name. Uh, I'm he, trying to uh, find it in the book. And then there was you know, his business partner and lawyer, Kirk Schenk. And then there was... There was the security guy. Yep, the security guy. You know, and they were all... K.M. Morgan. That's the guy. There you go. K.M. Morgan. He had a weird name. You know, emptying his house of yeah. all his stuff. And what's oh, yeah. Taking over like, power of attorney and changing bank accounts. And, and people were like... Uh, Stan, you're, you're, they're spending your money. Like that's the point where he gets really sad. Where after his wife dies, mm-hmm. and he's basically on his own, the vultures sort of circle around him, and he doesn't really get out of that for the rest of his life. I, I, one thing that's kind of interesting is that when you read, a what's funny is they're stealing all the stuff around him or whatever. And apparently, you know, one of the rumors is there's stacks of original art, which are probably a lot of Kirby pages that Kirby never got his hand on, which is another famous sort of story. And I was like, that's just sad that those things are just disappearing to the worst people right. you know that that they're just it doesn't get to get appreciated in the world and that's super sad what i was going to say is that when you read about jack kirby's life and i'm just going to assume that if you're listening to this you have some notion of who these people are because you're reading comics and you should but you know when you read about jack kirby's life Roz is a saint she's his great protector she's his love and when you get this joan uh, you know, Stan loves her. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. But she doesn't come off well. She does not come off as a person no. who I think was any good for him. Like, and over a long period of time. and From the very beginning, really. Yeah. She was an actress and a model from and England. British. And, and yeah. like, you know, everything a Bronx boy would want. A whole <laughs> a status other symbol. status symbol, a, a strata of life. And, I, you know, it's hard to speak ill of the dead. I, we never met her. Mm-hmm. don't know her. But... She comes off as 
the primary reason why he's constantly working is because she's spending the money. A dollar comes in, the dollar goes out. And then the daughter is a whole other problem. But, you know, at some point you're like, you're making a lot of money. Marvel's still paying you a ton of money. You're getting all these other deals. Why are you killing yourself at 90? It's because Joan liked to buy dresses and Joan liked to spend money. And his daughter was, what, 60 years old when he died? Something like that? I mean, later. I think she was older than that. 70? When he died. You know, like, Never worked yeah, a day like in her life? Yeah, the late 60s. Yeah. He basically underwrote her entire life. That's And, that's like, expensive. she had a gigantic allowance, you yeah. know, into her, you know, elderly years. Right. And, you know, the, apparently, you know, giant screaming matches. And, oh, it's just horrendous. It's, it's all tough because... And there are tapes. Yeah, it's all, there's tapes and there's video. <laughs> and It's tough because human beings like to have stories and myths and characters who are larger than life. We've been talking about talking about this book for months to give listeners a chance to read it because it's not you can't just knock it out over the weekend. Well, I guess you could, but and there's been a lot of people discussing on our patron groups in the Discord channel on on the Facebook group the book. And a lot of them are having a hard time with it because if your only conception of Stan is Stan the man who shows up at Comic-Con and waves to the crowd and tells his stories about creating Spider-Man and is in the movies and is funny and charming and it was the voice of all your Saturday morning cartoons, this is going to be a really hard read. But if you had all been paying attention, this shouldn't be Well, I was going to say, when you were reading shocking. it, there was, there was probably nothing about like the persona and the just cavalcade of lies that, that you were really terribly surprised about. I, no, I wasn't terribly surprised, but like I said, it was daunting to have it laid out. Yeah. From the very beginning, like I said, lying about, you know, winning the newspaper thing, lying about his, what he did in the army, lying about, he basically lied about everything. And to have it laid out chapter by chapter by chapter was like, oof, wow, okay. And it, it, it did, it made it harder to justify any of it. Right. In a way, because before you'd be like, well, he did good stuff. And I, oh, I was about to say, I don't think he was a bad person. But I don't think he was a good person. I don't know what I think he was because it is so intertwined. You take him away and you don't get all that stuff. He was an asshole to Larry. He was an asshole to Larry. At least from Larry's perspective. And I think that he would have to be incredibly emotionally unintelligent to not know what he was doing with the people that he worked with professionally around him. His M.O. was always like, I didn't know there was a problem. I didn't know Jack felt that way. I didn't. And, and that seems like. Yeah, bullshit. I don't buy that. But think about professional standards in that time period, the 50s and sure. 60s. Oh, sure. What did the music industry do? All the guys who ran the label stole all the writing credits from the actual writers. Yeah. You know, the thing to do then, <laughs> if you were in charge, was... You didn't even get that, though. Take credit and steal... Oh, right, because there's no such thing as residuals. But, like, take credit for the artistic work and then watch the money come in. I'm not obviously not defending it. I'm saying that was sort of the sure. the way business was done. Was You were the editor. It was your book. You were the label owner. It was your song. Mm-hmm. And so... I'm sure he didn't see anything super wrong with it because that's what everybody did. And the comics industry was just as fat as anything else back then. It's true, but it, but also it continued. Like it's it's one thing like if everything was that way for a while, and then the sort of world evolves, and and you know Neil Adams comes along and tries to you know organize it for better conditions, and Stan fucks all those people over, and like he just never. Well, he's in too deep at that point. It's like living a lie, you know? He just never did the right thing. And then the other half of it is that comics itself, comics the entity, never wanted to let the myth go. It needed the myth. Comics needed the myth to grow yeah. into public consciousness. We propagate this the whole time because he's still the best thing that they have in terms of 
an overall spokesperson. And again, I like to, I'd like to keep coming back to the fact that he was delightful in person. We we oh, interviewed no him idea. several yeah. times at Comic Con. We went to his office in Beverly Hills and hung out with him for like forty five minutes. That was one of the best days in my professional life. That day, we are not we're not above it. We were right in the middle of it, being like you know starry eyed and nervous around him. And so you wanted to believe the. Well, he sat there, and, I, and I, I think I asked him some question. Was like, what's you know what's a character the, that never really took off? And he gives this whole thing about Giant Man and. and and now I'm just like, I'm really glad that I asked those questions before I knew everything I know now. And I don't just mean because of the book. I know right. a lot more how that is. And, and I don't think you can – you can't do those interviews. You can't do that, that conversation with him and be serious about any of it. No, you're all play acting. Yes, exactly. That's, that's totally it. Even if you don't know you are, you're not aware of it. But yeah. But for him, think about it. Think. His entire persona at that point yes. is the creator of Marvel Comics. So he can't <laughs> – you can't turn around in 1986 and go, you know what, never mind, I didn't actually create the Fantastic Four. Well, I know, but nobody else did either. I'd always thought that, like, like even Roy Thomas kind of... Well, Roy Thomas, you know, one. came out and, he and got screwed bashed, too. No, but he bashed this book. Yeah. You know, well, for a lot of people, it's still... And, I don't, you know, again, Roy was there, I wasn't. Was Roy interviewed in it first person? Uh, he was in... He was mentioned, he that's was for sure. He was quoted for certain, but I don't know I don't if it was, was a primary interview. Yeah. Looking at the back, Roy Thomas, Roy Thomas Beck. I mean, he's in a good yeah, portion of he's it. in a lot of it. Yeah, you know, he had an even-handed view of it. I think it's tough because again, like that's the it's the myth, right? You know, like everyone yeah. needs it, and the comic fans have a hard time grasping that the face of comics, you know, was built on thrown all lies. Uh-huh. And I don't like saying it. I don't. No, I don't like saying it out loud. So every Saturday morning, watched uh, Spider-Man and Amazing Friends, and he was the narrator, and he was, you know, yeah. Stan Lee, and the first time we ever interviewed him, we were all so nervous we could barely talk. <laughs> it's tough, you know, but then you, the longer you're hanging around, the more you start hearing the stories and the rumblings, and, uh, you know, and then you start talking to people, and it's like, well, you know, then, uh, you know and then you read the books. I mean, and, the other thing is, I remember, you know, we were in the room, we were in the room one time where we mm-hmm. saw the mask come down, yep. you know, and the batteries went low, and he was surrounded by Gil and some of the other people talked about the book. I didn't really know who they were at the time, but now yeah. I know in retrospect. And I was like, ugh, I was standing in that room. And I felt bad. Yeah, we were there. We'd finished our interview with him. And he had you know, been Stan the man. And then the interview was done. And I don't know why they didn't usher us out of there. But mm-hmm. we were hanging around, putting away our equipment, chatting. Because we had brought some people in to meet him. And we just watched him sort of slump into the chair. And it's like, all right, he's 91 or whatever he was, or 89 or whatever. You just saw him, the veil dropped. Yeah. I remember reading something, it was like Bendis or somebody of that nature had lunch with him and asked him, you know, you must be so thrilled about these movies. This is what you've wanted your whole life. And he said, I haven't seen a single one of them. I can't see anything. Like by the end, he couldn't see, couldn't hear. Mm -hmm. He literally never saw a single one of the movies. Yeah, that's the sad stuff. He went to Hollywood way too early, just in terms of technology. And that's true. Tried to get Marvel stuff made into TV shows and movies, and you know they got a Hulk made, and they got a very short-lived Spider-Man show, and some other things, and a lot of cartoons. But you know this was his vision, his goal, and and you know came to fruition, and he just was not a part of it because he couldn't be. It's funny is that same thing now. Now Stan or Jack didn't do a ton of comics you know after the just say outside of new gods after his sort of main creative burst time but he did find some success in television and animation you know he did yep. things that you read that you know jack did those things and you're like oh 
But I, I remember that cartoon. I did that, whatever. And when he got there, you know, those people who worked on those shows knew who he was yep. and respected him. And that is the thing that you know, Stan got the respect for, really just from hangers on and things like that. Anyway, you can go on that forever. But I did want to note, and when we're talking about sad, I'm not in a position to be like Stan deserved anything bad that happened or whatever, but there's a little reaping what sowed in some of that stuff creatively. But Larry is, I think, maybe the saddest part of the whole thing yes. to me. Oh, yes. Living in like a one room apartment on the Upper East Side that's been rent controlled for like 45 years, not able to do anything, can't really leave, doesn't have any friends, all his friends are dead. There's an original Kirby on the wall, too. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's really sad. And just he had no family. He had a brother that might have loved him or cared about him, but his brother's, you know, family, his wife pushed him away. And it's just like, ugh. And it's not like he wasn't involved in that stuff. You know, and right. he was he was looking for work. And I don't know, maybe he wasn't any good at what he was, you know, the job or whatever, but I doubt it. It's so complicated. That's what I mean when you finish this book, especially if you're coming into it not really knowing anything. You'll be sad when you finish it. Yeah. But also fascinated. Like, sure. I found it incredibly fascinating that it was finally all put together at once because it was a mishmash of like, well, you know, I kind of understood this or whatever, but like it was really comprehensive. And, you know, I, I don't really have cause to disbelieve. If there were parts that he wasn't sure about, he did it a couple times where he'd sort of say, well, people say this or, it's, you know, that it's reported, but he couldn't really back it up. You know, there isn't a lot of that. So most of it is a lot of first person, mm -hmm. you know, testimonial type stuff. You know, the things that I think were interesting, the people who weren't creatives, the people who didn't have their livelihoods depend on making things and creating them. So, you know, office staff, people who are around the quote unquote bullpen, which wasn't even a real thing. They talked about how great he was as a boss and how great he was as a person to have in the office. And, you know, you'd hear him get up on the chairs and act out stuff. And mm -hmm. he was friendly to people and they liked working for him. And I think that part is a little bit of a saving grace, you know, like. He was a good boss a lot of times. Not all the time. He made some bad decisions, but I don't know. I, and I keep wanting to, at the end of it, I keep wanting to say, you know, so he's not all bad. But then I think, yeah, and then I go, but well, that's not true. He's not all good. Like, I can't pin him down because he couldn't pin himself down. It's I, I go back and forth over and over again. Yeah. And that's a tough thing just in general about Stan. You know, there was a whole movement. I don't remember 10 years ago, whatever, the, the Kirby movement where everybody really obnoxious about giving mm -hmm. Kirby credit about everything. And they may have been right, but they were really obnoxious about it and so that uh -huh. made me want to like reflexively defend stan but the problem is like it's all it's all a mess and you can't discount his contribution to the culture of comics no at all and i think it's really really important and i think again i don't know that we're all we're sitting here having this conversation without him but if you're talking about the fairness and these families who didn't get to move to the bird streets in la you know the kirby's mm -hmm. and the dickos and you know, everyone else, people quit. Wally would. Yeah, it's not, it's not, <laughs> it's, does one outweigh the other? Are they all just in this giant stew of sadness? You know, kind I think of. Marvel owes him. I think comics owe him. Comics, but you know, Marvel, because it's sort of the, the chariot that pulls everything else behind it to a certain extent. And I think that that's the thing that he's responsible for is m Marvel as a whole, but not the parts that make up Marvel. Mm -hmm. Although other than in a supervisory way, you know, the comics looked that way. The artists that were brought in, you know, yes, they were following a Jack style to a certain extent, you know, but Stan knew where to push and where to pull on those things and who to put on one book because he edited all those books, you know, mm -hmm. directly. 
it owes a lot. Now it's not in the creation of the characters or necessarily the ongoing stories that we all know, you know, that his name is listed as writer on for apparently no reason at all. in most of them, but the overall thing he has an influence on right. for sure. I just wish that any of the stories, the apocryphal stories were true. The thing, you know, like the creation of the fantastic four story, the 15 versions of it that exist, who knows if any of these are true? Like, you have to be okay with the myth. And isn't that funny that a medium that is all about fantastic myths is itself a, myth. a fantastic myth that you will never get to the bottom of? And for all of my lauding of Jack Kirby, and he deserves it more, he's not a reliable narrator either. No. He said a lot of contradictory things, you know, in the latter part of his life. And even before that, he just, he was not a great communicator. He's also such a weird figure to be like, that guy is the center of all this pop culture because he's this weird little gruff dude. <laughs> right. Like, it just, he doesn't fit the model of an artistic genius. He couldn't have done what Stan did. No. Jack couldn't have gone on the talk shows and done the magazine interviews and gone to college campuses on his tours. It would have blown up in his face that the comics would have gone back into the dark corner <laughs> and maybe not have come out of it. You know, that's the thing. You need the salesman as well as the genius making the product. Because yeah. without the salesman, there's no one to sell the product. Without the genius, there's no product to sell. So it's tough. Rarely are they the same that person. Marketing has to get all the money now in the budget because of that? That's bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got product and engineering over here. They're busting their ass. And the whole budget's going to marketing. <laughs> I don't begrudge anyone who doesn't want to read the book. Yeah. Like I said, myths are really important, and especially in the comics. For, like, If you're someone who didn't want to read this book and don't want to know about the truth and want to believe the myths... That's fine. You know what's interesting, We're though, so far is that this point. we've heard all these stories forever, you know, and there's we've talked to a lot of pros over the years. And, and again, most of it, let's use the word again, but most of it's apocryphal at this point. So mm -hmm. who knows? But the horrible stories about the DC editors of the 50s and 60s, yeah. you know, the Mort Weisinger's, all of those people like those are kind of or Vincent Fox in the 30s. Those are almost fun. Because you're not really directly connected to them. Like, wow, that was crazy back then. You know, yeah. like, or like reading about the gangsters that you mentioned who were taking, you know, royalties of music and things right. they didn't do. Those are interesting stories because I don't feel like I have any personal connection to those things. You didn't meet any of those people. Exactly. You didn't and, talk and also to those just, people. Well, I didn't, you know, I'm not an expert on, you know, the doo-wop artists of the 50s. Like, right. I, but I, I know a lot about Jack Kirby and we're one generation away from him, meaning, mm -hmm. you know, like the, the people who we know were the people who grew up with him and would have worked with him. Like that's and it feels much more personal because also comics is so small or it was up until recently. And so it feels very personal. And maybe that's that's probably because of Stan, too. He made it feel personal. Yeah, it's tough. It's really tough. You know, I finished the book and I think I have an idea of what I think about Stan, his place in the world, the place in the comics world, his legacy what he did and what he didn't do. And that's all like very intellectual. Then the emotional element comes in and it's hard. Yeah. Like if someone asked me, Hey, tell me about Stanley. I, I would tell him straight up. He was the face of comics. He basically lied about everything. He said publicly about his contributions. He didn't really create all those characters. He may have helped a little bit, but for the most part, he didn't do it. And he actively didn't give the people who did credit. And then he spent the second half of his life being swindled and torn apart. I have no problem telling anybody that the problem is I don't feel good about it. You know? Yeah. Also, it's such a downer. Yeah. Of like the myth of the whole thing. Like, and I've done, I've been through that, you know, where people are like, oh man, the Marvel people. And I was like, yeah, no one really got rewarded for any of this stuff like they were supposed to, you know, 
like all of the heroes of the story didn't really get anything out of it, which is almost still the case. You know, like you yeah, watch totally. all the all the movies and you're like the people who thought of all of these concepts got at best a, a check. Well, that was a whole article that came out a few weeks ago and went all around the Internet was that the people who made these stories and these characters get like a <laughs> jelly of the month club. Yeah, basically get the jelly of the month club and the pat in the back and, you know, from the guy who made millions of dollars off of their idea. Comics will break your heart, kid. Yeah. Well, you're actually seeing it go even further is now that the actors are like, well, what the hell? Why do you get to keep all the money? There's a backlash for that now. Right. You know, and they're going to have the power to do something about it where the, you know, again, the idea people never did and don't. Right. Ugh. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty comprehensive, you know, in the same way that Marvel Comics The Untold Story was very comprehensive. Look behind the curtain. This is also one. And it's not, you're not going to find that you like everything you see, especially towards the end, especially with stuff on the tapes and the videos. I got to say, though, you know, if you are at all interested in sort of the history of this stuff, I mean, it is fascinating reading this along with, you know, a bunch of books that Sean has. Uh, yeah, history of Marvel story. Comics is it almost like you should read them in that order, like read that read mm-hmm. you know there's a lot of jack kirby books i recommend pretty much all of them i don't recommend the stanley bio that came out before this one that was written by the who's the comics guy it's like one of the spurgeon. marvel writers no the spurgeon book he spurgeon co-wrote it i don't remember the other one that's a good book but there was a more lauded like stan approved biography that came out oh, i don't know about that a number of years ago i didn't know that came out the marvelous life of stan lee by danny fingeroff that's the one yeah because danny fingeroff was a a yeah. Marvel yeah, editor, Marvel I think, editor, yeah. and writer. Yep. Yeah. So that's more like the Stan Lee story as told by Stan Lee. Well, that's like the Bob Kane book I have. I, you know, it came out yeah. in 1989 with a Batman movie. It's Batman and Me. All mm-hmm. lies. <laughs> it's the myths we tell ourselves. And meanwhile, you know, months before his death, we spoke with Jerry Robinson, yeah. you know, this little stooped man, you know, whose imagination has been the fuel for so much. You know, and you didn't get that. And it is such a bummer. But I mean, I think if you love the medium and you love the industry of comics, it's worth it to know these things. Mm-hmm. You know, and it, you want to be one step closer to understanding how the industry works. And this history is still very relevant. Oh, yeah. Every single creative working in comics today should know that you shouldn't not know, you know, the tale of Jack Kirby and the tale of Steve Ditko. And, you know, you, you have to protect yourself. This is your shot. This is your life. And if you don't, you could find yourself on the outside of somebody else having a very big party because it's something you did and it's crushing, but also it's part of it. I don't know. Like, I, I wonder if we're just attracted to comics as a medium because of our interest in history and sort of how it all works into time and place and who the people were, and where they come from. It's endlessly fascinating. You know, comics are an entertainment medium, and Stan especially became an entertainment character once he moved to L.A. and basically existed just to play himself on TV. But one of the things I like to tell people who ask me about the entertainment business is that the entertainment business' is primary business is to tell you a story. And sometimes it's a story you see on screen. Sometimes it's a story they tell you in the press. It's all stories, though. Yes. None of it's true. You know, when you hear, when you see an, artist, an actor go on a talk show and talk about how great the, it was to shoot the movie and how they're all best friends, sometimes that's true. Sometimes it's not true. It's all stories. I always think of that when people are like, oh, I like that actor or whatever. I'm like, you don't know anything about that actor. Right. You've no idea. I don't mean that to be snotty, but like it's all – I took a class on this once. You know, Hollywood is two myths. It's the story yeah. myth and then the myth of making the myth. Well, it's the beginning of Singing in the Rain when they interview Gene Kelly on the red carpet. 
and mm. his co-star. And they're talking about how they got to Hollywood and how they work together. And their voiceover is contrasted with the reality of it. Mm-hmm. None of what they're saying is real. They didn't go to prestigious acting schools. He was a vaudeville guy. They don't love each other. They hate each other. That beginning of Singing in the Rain basically breaks down the entertainment business. They're telling the story on the screen. They're telling the story to the crowd to make you want to go to the screen. That's all they're true. And that's what Stan Lee was. Stan Lee was that in person yeah. for him. They don't really keep it a very good secret. Like, that information's there if you want it, but people really want the romance of it more. Right, that's what I mean. That's what I said at the very beginning. People want their myths, and I don't begrudge them. I like my myths, too. Mm-hmm. Well, no one wants to... That's not true. No one wants to be. But no one really likes the guy, the Debbie Downer of... Right. Trust me. Trust me, I know no <laughs> one likes this guy. Well, actually, it was uh, sewed on baby skin. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like... Yeah. <laughs> But as a microcosm, as such a small industry, like in comics, it just has all the more impact because the stakes are both very high and very low at the same time. And the thing is, this book doesn't get made if not for the movies, obviously, because uh-huh. then Stan really blows up as the man who created all these characters that everyone's been paying a billion dollars to go see for the last 12 years. And Marvel. If he's just the guy who talks about it in front of the cartoons that some people watched, yeah, there's no book like this, but... He put himself out there. It's fair game. He put himself out there. I created Spider-Man. I created the X-Men. I created... Thanos and Disney Gore. did too. No, of course. Of it, course. It it's all part Disney's of the machine. It was interest. But my point is, like, you did it. So you're, it's fair game to say, well, did they really do it? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. I think we're all pretty much on the same page about that. Yeah. Yeah. Totally worth reading. It's a good book. Again, like I said, a lot of it won't be new. But again, then again, like half the book is post-Marvel. So we don't spend a ton of time in the, the Marvel time. Well, no, I mean, if you're a mild student have read any of these books, like most of the Marvel stuff is probably maybe a little more detailed, but there wasn't anything terribly new in there, you know, about what happened or... I mean, the Larry stuff, the perspective from Larry Lieber yeah. is always interesting. Like he hadn't really talked to anybody. This is kind of the first time I've seen him talking about this time. So to get his perspective on... What was happening at Marvel was new and interesting, but the actual things that happened are basically the same as you've, you've read in other things or know from people talking. Yeah, I mean, it's tough, but I think Stan Lee's a valuable person in the history of this whole medium, but then it's all wrapped up in problems. <laughs> it's all problems. It's all problems. So that's True Believer, The Rise and Fall of Stan Lee by Abraham Reisman. It came out this year, 2021, from Crown Publishers. Check it out if you're at all interested in the history of comics and the myth-making and the reality. And you don't have to dislike Stan. Yeah, I think it's you're okay right. It's okay to not. I don't dislike Stan. It's a very complicated feeling I have about him, but I don't dislike him. I feel bad for him more than anything. I don't think that he is malicious. I don't think he was evil. You know what I mean? Like I- you don't think he was gleefully clicking his heels as he went home about how he screwed Kirby over again? No, I definitely don't. I think that he believed in the mythology of everything, and I think that he believed in good guys, and I think that he wanted to be a good guy and found a way to think of himself in that way. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I don't know what I'm basing any of that on. <laughs> well, we can go in these circles for hours. That's how complicated the situation is, and, and, and that's I think how interesting that's why the is. book is valuable. Yes. So I think you need to read the book. If you're interested in it, you need to find other people who are interested in it. If you are an iFanboy patron, you know, Come to the Discord channel and talk about it and try to work out these extremely complicated feelings because it, it is very complicated. Yeah. So we'll be post for the show on ifanboy.com. We have our Discord and Facebook groups. You can talk about it there. And I'm going to 
summarized this, quoting a man much smarter and better words than I am, who's on the back cover. Josh Flanagan. Neil Gaiman <laughs> says this is a farcical tragedy, and I think that's the perfect way to describe Ooh. how I feel about this story. So check it out. True Believer of the Rise of Paul Stanley. Talk about it on a fanboy in various places. Josh and I will be back every other month with a new book explode. We don't know what we're doing next. It's going to be joyful next time. Trust <laughs> it's me. going to be more fun. This show rotates with the Talksplodes. Every other month, there's Josh's interview show, the Talksplode show. We have our Pick of the Week show, where Josh and I talk about the week's comics. We have our Media Explode show, or once a month show, we talk about non-comics media. All kinds of fun stuff at fanboy.com. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed listening. I hope you enjoyed the book. I hope you don't feel too bad about yourself or comics or Stan or whatever. It's all fine. <laughs> that's that's the it's fine it'll be fine don't you know what don't worry about it it's okay it's all okay like the dog in the burning room till next time i'm connor i'm josh excelsior i believe there's an answer waiting when the day is done i believe if you just keep searching you find someone